all you hardheads out there. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are in this beautiful world of ours. And before we get the show started today, I do want to quickly say, if you are living in the United States, it is a big day in this country. It is Inauguration Day. And regardless of whatever side you fall on politically, I want you all to please stay safe. Uh, if you're going to be stupid, please be try. Please try to be less stupid by wearing a mask while you're being stupid. Uh, <laughs> and please try to be safe. Uh, be with your friends. Be with your family today. Try and again, just even with the tension in the country at the moment, please try to remain safe. If not for yourself, for your family and your friends. So. With that disclaimer out of the way, I thought this was a sports podcast. This is a sports podcast. Welcome to the Hard-Headed Sports Podcast, episode number six, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. It's wonderful to have you all here today. I've got a really exciting show today. Uh, I feel like the show recently has been a lot of hiring and firing, and is this person the good candidate for this job, and is this candidate a bad person for this job, and a lot of NFL playoffs, obviously. But we're going to be talking about a wide variety of topics today, uh, multiple sports, so that's always good. And it's going to be a longer show today. Um, at least I'm hoping it's going to be a longer show today. The last couple of shows have been pretty short, uh, unfortunately. And that's, that's part of the learning cur curve with uh, doing your own show in this format is sometimes you think it's going to be a longer show and that you have a lot to say about a certain topic. And then once you get in front of the camera, you kind of fizzle out. You don't really have as much to say. And the show ends up being a little bit shorter. But I think we have a pretty decently sized show today with a lot of different topics. So there is no reason to delay it any further. Let's get right into it. I want to start this morning with the breaking news of the day broke a couple of hours ago. And that news is that uh, Indianapolis Colts quarterback, formerly uh, San Diego Chargers quarterback for 16 seasons, uh, Philip Rivers has announced his retirement from the NFL. Uh, Philip Rivers is finally winning something. He's winning the race to who to see who can retire first between him and Drew Brees. Um, yikes! Uh, <laughs> that's not that's kind of an indictment of Philip Rivers. He was never really able to win the big one, but still considered to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Considered to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league for a long time, despite his struggles in the playoffs. Uh, historic trash talker, uh, for anybody who's a diehard fan of football, you know that Phillip Rivers can talk some ish. Uh, he's got multiple, multiple, multiple kids, so I'm sure he's going to have some fun uh, being with all of his kids. But uh, what a great career for Phillip Rivers, despite his shortcomings in the postseason. I still think he should be considered to be a Hall of Famer, uh, just based on what he's done in a franchise that hasn't always enabled him. Um, they, they've had some good seasons, but they've really had a lot of mediocre seasons because Philip Rivers never had a concrete system around him. Um, but still a great career, 244 career games, a 65% completion rating, over 63,000 yards passed for, uh, 6340 uh, to be exact, 421 touchdowns, 209 interceptions, an eight-time Pro Bowler, and the best trash-talking quarterback in the NFL. Maybe we can throw that on his tagline as well. But um, it, according to Rivers, he said, it's my time. 
He said something along the lines of, I can sit here and tell myself that I can sling it and I can still throw it even if it's not true. And he could be telling himself that until his early 50s if he wanted to. He says it's time to go, which good for him. Sometimes the the, the hardest part of being an athlete is deciding when to hang it up. So uh, I'm sure it was a difficult decision for him, especially being on an Indianapolis Colts team that I think is extremely exciting and they're going to be extremely good next year. So. The question then becomes, who replaces Phillip Rivers as the quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts? Now, obviously on the roster already, you have Jacoby Brissett, and this would be the fourth straight year in which Frank Reich has had a new starting quarterback if Jacoby Brissett would come back to be the starting quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. I don't think the Colts necessarily want to do that. They've had a full year of Jacoby Brissett and he was okay. Uh, I think you would want to go in a different direction if you're the Indianapolis Colts, especially with the young talent that you have on the offense. So the question becomes, and I know, I know the headline is Philip Rivers retired, but the more interesting question to me is who is going to replace Philip Rivers in Indianapolis? And as a, and as for the reasons I just stated, the the Indianapolis Colts have already had a year of Jacoby Brissett, and I don't think they're entirely thrilled with that. But are they in a position to go and get one of the top quarterbacks in this draft? I don't necessarily think so. I mean, they could trade up and get like a Zach Wilson or Justin Fields or maybe try and wait uh, to into the later rounds and get maybe somebody like Mac Jones potentially. But I think the quarterback or the right quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts is already in the National Football League. And I'm really excited to share this take with you because this is something that in my uh, in my mind of if I were a GM of this team, which I am going to plan to make a series at some point, where I just go through every single NFL team and act as their GM for this upcoming offseason and what I would do to make them into a winner the next season. But in my mind, I, if I was the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts, uh, and I, 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 I'm I, just so excited for this take, uh, <laughs> I would look to Matthew Stafford to be the next quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts and likewise I think Matthew Stafford is looking down in Indianapolis and saying "Mm, that is some good pickings right there that is a team that I would want to play for now does Matthew Stafford want out of Detroit now that's up for debate Uh, I think it will Indianapolis would have to trade for Stafford either way Stafford has I believe two years left on his contract but Matthew Stafford was reportedly selling his house earlier in the season and that was some pretty big news when it happened because it's like well is Matthew Stafford done with Detroit and I think Matthew Stafford probably is done in Detroit I think he probably wants out of that franchise I mean they've been running around like chickens with their heads cut off for a couple of seasons now and Matthew Stafford really has had nothing to work with either offensively since Calvin Johnson left and defensively for a couple of years now Um, I mean, Matthew Stafford really hasn't had somebody to throw to besides Golden Tate and, um, oh, the name, the name is, is escaping me. Um, but regard, uh, TJ Hawkins, I mean, they drafted TJ Hawkinson in the first round when they could have gotten a really good wide receiver. It's like, it's those types of decisions that as a quarterback, you look like, guys, what are we doing around here? 
So Matthew Stafford is probably saying, guys, what the heck are we doing around here? And you take a look at a young, exciting team like Indianapolis and say, that is a team I would want to play for. So if Matthew Stafford uh, theoretically was going to force his way out of Detroit, much like Deshaun Watson is forcing his way out of Houston right now, although I think Matthew Stafford... That, that forcing out of Detroit would definitely be more amicable than Deshaun Watson's forcing out of Houston right now. I think if, if I'm Matthew Stafford, I'm taking a look at a quarterback position in Indianapolis that is free for the taking and saying, please send me there. I mean, the Colts have a really exciting young defense. They've got a capable head coach who has proven that he can win with multiple quarterbacks. Uh, a good wide receiver core, uh, T.Y. Hilton and Michael Pittman Jr. to main a few players. And not only that, it's the, the Detroit Lions have a really good draft pick this year that they are in prime pickings to choose a quarterback anyways. So if Detroit were to draft somebody like a Zach Wilson, uh, if he's still available, or a Justin Fields at number seven, that would be a pretty good situation for the Detroit Lions anyway because they have a new, new coach coming in in Dan Campbell who might want his own uh, starting quarterback, his brand new starting quarterback. Anyway, for me, I just see how this is a win-win for everybody. Like, everybody gets what they want. Indianapolis gets a really good quarterback, a quarterback that they know can sling the football around. He's still relatively young. I think he's only, like, 32 years old. So he's got about maybe four or five seasons of uh, good football left. Yes, he's coming out of his prime, but he's still going to be playing good football. He is a very talented quarterback, despite having some really uh, iffy seasons in Detroit, uh, which I don't think anybody holds against Matthew Stafford, because, uh, as I said, Detroit has been a bit of a dumpster fire recently. I don't consider it to be his fault. So, uh, Matthew Stafford has had a couple of iffy years in Detroit. He would want out of that franchise. He would get to go to an exciting young franchise, uh, or, or a young rebuilding team that almost beat the Buffalo Bills in the playoffs this year, with some great wide receiver talent, like, why would you not want that? Now, obviously, the big the big variable is that Matthew Stafford is still under contract. Either he has to force his way into a trade or Indianapolis takes a look around the league and says, okay, I want that guy. We're going to have to trade for him. Now, the Colts do have all seven of their draft picks this year. I don't know about their draft picks in the next draft, uh, but I can easily say throw a second rounder or a second and third rounder at the Detroit Lions and see if they give you Matthew Stafford because the Detroit Lions are already in position to take a quarterback with their seventh pick in the draft. Anyways, I just think this is a really, really interesting situation. I think Justin Fields would be interesting in Detroit. I think uh, Justin Fields would be interesting in a lot of places. We'll talk about Justin Fields here shortly uh, because he unsurprisingly declared for the draft, but uh, just just think about the things that Matthew Stafford could do with a good defense and a young developing wide receiver core that can actually catch a football. Uh, <laughs> it sounds really exciting to me. I would be all over this if I was the Indianapolis Colts general manager. Um, let's see if they try and make a move and get a deal done. That's what I would do. I think every side would be relatively happy. Detroit gets draft picks and a new quarterback in the first round. Matthew Stafford gets a good football team and the Indianapolis Colts get a good quarterback who can throw the football like nobody's been his business, multiple 4,000 yard passing seasons. And you get four years, four to five years out of this quarterback. Uh, I think it's the way to go. Let me know what you think. 
I think it's a. I, I think that would be a genuinely exciting move for the NFL because um, I don't think that the Colts are are set are going to settle for Brissett, and I don't necessarily think they're in a position to move up and take a quarterback in the first round of the draft this year. But uh, speaking of quarterbacks in the first round, Justin Fields, I said we were going to talk about him just a couple moments ago. He declared for the draft earlier on Monday. No surprise here. Obviously, we knew that he was going to be uh, declaring for the NFL draft. And it's really, really interesting because in the first 10 picks, there are a lot of teams that have quarterbacks that you can easily that you can easily write off and say, oh, they've got a quarterback. They're not going to be taking a quarterback. But those quarterbacks are either old or they're on the hot seat to where you could say, oh, yeah, they could definitely draft a quarterback there and have that quarterback quarterback sit for a couple of games or at least a year. And then be the starting quarterback next year. Those teams including Atlanta, Detroit. My favorite, though, is Carolina at pick number eight. Now, obviously, the Carolina Panthers have Teddy Bridgewater, who is a fan favorite. I think, I think, you know what? I'm going to say he's probably even more of a league favorite. Like, everybody wants to root for Teddy Bridgewater. So I don't mean to step on any toes when I say that the Carolina Panthers probably want to move on from Teddy Bridgewater at some point in the near future, whether it's this season, the next couple of seasons. The Carolina Panthers draft number eight right behind the Detroit Lions, um, who we just got done talking about. The, the Carolina Panthers draft behind the Lions, and if there is a quarterback left, a, a, a good a top 10 quarterback there in the draft. I would be very surprised if the Carolina Panthers passed on that opportunity. Yes, the Panthers need some help on defense desperately. Um, I think you can solve that in subsequent rounds. Actually, I'm curious, how many draft picks do the Carolina Panthers have? Let me look this up real quick. See if I can find it really quickly. I can know that they have the number one pick. They've got uh, pretty much every single pick, I believe, that uh, uh, that's available to them. They have all seven of their picks. So the Carolina Panthers have the capita to address other needs in the draft linebacker defensive end uh, offensive tackle I think is one that they desperately need to take a look at also but uh, the quarterback position there are so many good quarterbacks in this draft it would be hard not to take one and I think that's the philosophy that a lot of teams are going into this draft with so when it comes to Carolina at eight again they're another one of those teams that have a quarterback you could say up oh, they're out of running to get a quarterback. They've got a quarterback that they like at least a decent amount. But it's a quarterback that's kind of on the hot seat. Because as much as the league loves Teddy Bridgewater and as much as the league is rooting for Teddy Bridgewater, the facts tell me throughout the season that Teddy Bridgewater is just an average quarterback in terms of talent. Um, uh, Teddy Bridgewater throwing 13 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, fumble. He's got a fumbling issue, six fumbles. A lot of those fumbles coming in the end, uh, the back end of the season. Um, but he was the uh, 12th most sacked quarterback in the NFL. So 
if the if Carolina Panthers go anywhere besides quarterback, uh, it might be Micah Parsons at linebacker, or it could be an offensive uh, an offensive lineman in that slot. But uh, Panthers fans, I'm I'm talking to you directly here. When you take a look at Teddy Bridgewater, are you confident that Teddy Bridgewater is your quarterback for the future? And obviously, that's the big question that a lot of franchises are asking this year is, is this the quarterback for the future? And for me, I don't know if Teddy Bridgewater is the quarterback for the future for the Carolina Panthers. I don't know if he's the franchise quarterback. I think he is a a Band-Aid quarterback. He was definitely a Band-Aid quarterback when Cam Newton uh, left uh, Carolina. And and I say all of this uh, with the knowledge that Teddy Bridgewater is a very smart football player. He is a very smart football player. He's got a lot of talent, but his production on the field has been just okay. And for that reason, I take a look, and if I'm a Carolina Panther fan, I'd say I'm not so confident that Teddy Bridgewater would be the quarterback for the future. But as I just said, he's a very smart football player. He could be a great teacher for one of those new quarterbacks coming into the league. And like, I don't know about uh, anybody that has had more life experience in the NFL than Teddy Bridgewater, obviously coming back from a disastrous injury, uh, multiple years sidelined from a very freak accident injury. There is a lot for Teddy Bridgewater to teach a young NFL quarterback. And Teddy Bridgewater is somebody that, um, you know, obviously he's young himself, but I feel like he's wise beyond his years. He's, he's kind of like an Alex Smith type quarterback. Now, Alex Smith isn't exactly young anymore, but he's a, a smart game manager type quarterback. He's not going to blow you away with stats anyway. So as much as I'm sitting here and saying, well, his stats were average, you know, throughout the season, again, 13 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, but he didn't necessarily have a lot of offense. I think a Justin Fields sitting behind Teddy Bridgewater in Carolina could be really, really interesting and beneficial for the Carolina Panthers if Justin Fields is still available at number eight. A combination of Justin Fields, uh, Christian McCaffrey, Robbie Anderson, who's had a comeback season in Carolina after coming over from the New York Jets. Um... Obviously, they've got some exciting young talent on the defense. Brian Burns played extremely well this season. He was a bit of a Pro Bowl snub. Obviously, there's some more work to do on the defensive side of things in Carolina. But as a basis for the offense, the the idea of Justin Fields sitting behind somebody like Teddy Bridgewater is very fascinating to me because I think Teddy Bridgewater is a good game manager. He's a smart football player. And even though his production on the field has been so-so, um, Justin Fields could change that, uh, or, or rather, uh, Justin Fields could change that level of production when eventually he starts for Carolina if they decide to go down that path. I think this could be a very good play for Carolina if they decide to go this route. Uh, and again, obviously, it depends on whether or not the eighteen or the seven teams in front of them. Obviously, Jacksonville's taking a quarterback. Jets may or may not take, in co- take a quarterback. Obviously, the, the word on the street is that Robert Sala actually wants to work with Sam Darnold, which is is obviously a debate in itself. We can go back and forth and talk about that all day if we want to. Obviously, Atlanta at four, um, Detroit at seven, Miami at three, kind of, although they're more in the the the, 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 the Deshaun Watch, uh, Watson 
Jesus. The Sean Watson sweepstakes. That's a tongue twister. They're in the uh, Deshaun Watson sweepstakes more than anybody else. And, of course, they have Tua Tungavailoa. So that that in itself puts them as a big question mark. But getting a little off track here, Teddy Bridgewater with Justin Fields sitting behind him is a really interesting idea to me. I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is your long-term quarterback, but I think he could be a good teacher with all of his life experience within the NFL with everything that that guy has been through. Could be a great teacher for Justin Fields in that spot. Carolina, again, drafting eighth in the NFL draft. I'm curious to know what you all think about that as well. Um, could be a very interesting pick. There there are going to be a lot of interesting, highly tense picks in this year's NFL draft. Lots of ways that it could go. Uh, mock drafts are going to be very plentiful <laughs> this year. Uh, moving on to the Jeremy Pruitt situation in Tennessee. Heads are rolling in the Tennessee Volunteers or a, a program right now, the football program. Heads are rolling. Um, of course, Jeremy Pruitt fired earlier on Tuesday, uh, fired with cause, meaning he isn't owed the money in his massive contract extension that the Volunteers just gave Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, and this call, all coming after an internal investigation found multiple level one and level two NCAA recruiting violations. Uh, the, 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 the rumor being, and the report was, and I, I couldn't have helped but laugh at this. Um, apparently, uh, university of Tennessee was putting money in McDonald's bags during on-campus recruiting. And I'm just sitting here saying, well, where was that happy meal? Like I'm sitting here as an adult, like saying, I would love that happy meal. Like, give me, give me a burger, fries, and a stack, and a, and a couple of stacks in my McDonald's bag. I would be a very happy adult. That's a happy adult meal right there from McDonald's. Uh, I, I don't know what I would do if I was a recruit, you know, on, a, on an official visit to Tennessee. And they got me McDonald's, which apparently is the, is the new thing. I, I, for for recruiting or, or just I mean I remember per, uh, President Trump uh, inviting a team to the White House and all this McDonald's everywhere I don't know if that was the Clemson Tigers when they won the national championship I think it was I guess Tennessee drew some inspiration from that and says we're going to get these guys McDonald's and put a couple of stacks in their McDonald's Happy Meal bag so I would be happy uh, <laughs> but then again uh, that that's absolutely crazy to me. Um, so the school said in a statement, it's also issued termina uh, termination letters to assistant coaches uh, Brian Niedermeyer, Shelton Fulton, four members of the on-campus football recruiting staff, the director and assistant director of football player personnel, and a football analyst and quality control coach. So I believe that's really quick math. I'm not a math person. That's nine coaches fired, including uh, head coach Jeremy Pruitt on Tuesday due to an internal investigation by University of Tennessee filing multiple level one and level two recruiting violations uh, by the football team. And I don't know where putting money in McDonald's bags qualifies on the scale that makes it either a level one or level two. Uh, but that's that's just funny news to me. Um, justice always prevails. Uh, I think I think it's the takeaway from this story is that justice always prevails. And to sit here and act all superficial and act like things like this aren't happening in every major Division One college program across the country, 
I'm not that naive. I know that this stuff happens all the time. It, what really matters is if you get caught or not. And obviously, University of Tennessee got very sloppy. Uh, I was reading the article, and, and it mentioned University of Georgia as well, uh, that they were getting kind of sloppy with their under-the-table recruiting habits. Uh, so maybe uh, an investigation of University of Georgia is coming too. But every single major football program does this. If you don't think so, I've got some news for you. I mean, it happens in basketball all the time. Assume it happens everywhere else as well. It really matters on just whether you get caught or not. And Tennessee obviously got caught really badly here. Um, the, the the interesting thing is is that Pruitt is actually fighting this, um, which make for me, I don't know if that makes him look really, really guilty because of the fact that he's not fighting against his termination. He's fighting against the fact that he's not getting paid with the termination again, University of Tennessee firing him with cause, meaning that he is not paid the massive amount of money that the University of Tennessee owes him, which to Pruitt's point kind of allows them to save a buttload of money for the next coach that they're going to hire. And of course, Pruitt, I don't know if I already explicitly mentioned this, but Pruitt is suing the university, uh, accusing the university of trying to disparage and destroy his character in an effort to keep paying Pruitt what the university owes him. Uh, statement from the lawyers were saying essentially the fact that, you know, they they use this internal investigation to, can, to carry out a firing that would have happened multiple weeks ago anyway. Of course, the Tennessee Volunteers ending the season 3-7, and seven, uh, uh, I think, Pruitt went 16 and 19 in a couple of seasons with the Tennessee Volunteers. So perhaps a, a firing might have been coming. I mean, he just got a contract extension. I mean, it's hard to really wrap my head around this because, and again, I don't know if Pruitt is doing this in response and he's extremely guilty because Tennessee fired him under the pretenses that this these these level one and level two violations either have or either happened directly because of Pruitt or they happened due to his negligence. So his argument is essentially that Tennessee would have fired him anyways, and they're using these investigations as a cause to not pay him. But again, but again, then he later came out and he said, "I'm extremely grateful for this university. I'm grateful for the fans," which is a bunch of PR BS. But it's like, if you're going to come out and say that, but also sue the university for the money that you think they owe you, which by all intents and purposes, it looks like they probably won't be paying that money. I don't know. It's like very conflicting sto uh, stories. It's very hypocritical. Um, and again, I'm not sure if that makes Jeremy Pruitt extremely guilty, which is actually kind of the side that I'm leaning on. I don't know if it makes him extremely guilty or if he's just trying to fight what he feels is owed to him. But again, the fact that he'll make a statement, which again, half of it is a lot of PR bullcrap about, uh, thank you for the fans. Thank you for the, the university for this opportunity. I'll always, uh, remember the memories to coach all these wonderful players, but yeah, also I'm suing your, your butt. Uh, and I hope you know it and I hope you give me the money that you owe me. It's like, it's such a, it's such a weird attitude shift. It's very conflicting emotions here. Uh, and, and that kind of conflicting emotions means somebody's lying in some way. Uh, and right now my money is on Pruitt lying, uh, about his involvement. You know, of course he's saying that he doesn't really have any involvement and he didn't know this was happening. Yada, yada, yada. Interesting drama developing in, uh, 
in uh, I don't know exactly where University of Tennessee. I th- I'm not exactly sure where it is, uh, uh, but uh, drama is brewing in the University of Tennessee, Tennessee's uh, football program. Very interesting to see how that develops. Again, nine coaches fired due to these uh, level one and level two recruiting violations. Um, the funny thing to me is, is that it, you're, you're going through all this trouble. And again, I said at the beginning of the segment that all programs do this. What matters if is if you get caught or not. The, the funny thing to me is that they spent all this time, you know, putting money into McDonald's bags reportedly to probably doing some other things as well. And justice always prevails in the sense that they did all this work and the Tennessee Volunteers were still so bad in the SEC the last couple seasons. Going through all this effort, especially uh, the the one person that was actually named in the report was Mims, who is an offensive lineman who signed with University of Georgia. And you go through all this effort to recruit these players, and they end up going someplace else, and all you get is a NCAA investigation and uh, a bunch of people fired. And uh, it's just justice always prevails. Uh, I said that earlier in this segment. Justice always prevails, and I think that that's what's coming to light here. It's extremely unfortunate for Pruitt if he actually didn't know that this was going on and he did get caught by surprise. But again, his response to the situation, and I'm no psychiatrist. I'm no uh, analyst of the, of the human mind and the decisions that they make. But based on his reactions and based on my life experience, he seems kind of guilty. You know, that's just me. Uh, very interesting to see how this develops over the next couple of days, uh, whether that lawsuit that Pruitt is filing against University of Tennessee actually goes anywhere. Uh, as of now, uh, Steele, Brian Steele, I believe his, I think his first name is Brian, uh, but Steele, who was hired as the defensive coordinator, he was the former uh, Auburn defensive coordinator. Steele is going to serve as the interim head coach at University of Tennessee. Obviously, they have a little bit to a uh, little bit of time to find a new. Uh, head coach, but they would want to do that sooner rather than later. Lots of interesting drama coming out of uh, University of Tennessee. Now, switching sports, we're going to go talk a little bit of basketball today. Um, Kyrie Irving came back to the New York Nets earlier, or the New York Nets. (laughs) Kyrie Irving returned to the Brooklyn Nets earlier this week, and he did a full press conference and everything. And he said he was happy to be back. He just needed some time away. He needed to take a pause in his life. Obviously, he missed seven straight games, some of them due to protocol, some of them due to just being absent and reportedly uh, you know, spending time with family, personal reasons. There was a report of him being at a, a, a birthday party with his sister without his mask off. And... Kyrie Irving came back and did a press conference and essentially said, I'm happy to be back. I'm ready to get back to work. I, I, I just needed some time away. I needed a pause to it all. And uh, while I was watching this press conference, it was very evident to me that Kyrie Irving is not okay. And I, I'm, I'm going to choose my words carefully here and very delicately. As somebody who has struggled with mental health recently, um, in fact, the Hard-Headed Sports Podcast is is in part a product of me struggling with some mental health issues because of everything that happened in 2020. 
sometimes you need an outlet to refuel you, reinvigorate you, re re um, shift your perspective on things. Sometimes you need something to fu- uh, to fuel you, and that's what this podcast is for me. But if, if Kyrie Irving is playing basketball and that the love of that game is not fueling him like it should be anymore, that's a big red flag to me. I don't think Kyrie Irving is okay. I think he 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 was smiling during his press conference, but I could just see the gray hairs on Kyrie's head. He looked tired. He looked like it looked like he was doing what he had to do. Like he felt like it was time to return to the team. Um just based on everything based around him. And you know, who's to say that you know, because everybody handles everything their separate way. Humans are incredibly unique in personality. And although there are stereotypes, although that you can classify behavior into certain, to certain, I guess, uh, cement blocks of, okay, well, this person is introverted. This person is extroverted. This person likes metal music and has tattoos and blue hair. And this person likes, uh, likes every trash hip hop song that comes out recently, you know, everybody handles things in their own ways. And I, I, I'm watching this press conference and to me, it looks like Kyrie is depressed. And I know this having been through depression recently myself. And again, I I know this may not be the most coherent segment of the show. I'm trying to choose my words carefully because it is such a sensitive subject and I want to make sure that I convey myself properly. This isn't exactly something that I could ramble on. You know, because Kyrie Irving, I'm not Kyrie Irving. I'm some dude on the internet with a lot of live radio experience and multiple years of journalism experience, and I'm just some guy on the internet. Kyrie Irving is one of the best basketball players to have ever lived, especially at the point guard position. He is incredibly talented. He's on a platform that I could not dream of reaching, so everybody is looking at him. And I'm sure that's that's adding some pressure to his situation. And uh, it's just very evident to me that he's not okay. And I feel like he's going to return to the Nets. And my fear for him is that things are not going to get better for him. And he's going to end up taking another leave of absence again. You know, and, you know, he's he's essentially asked that. You know, or essentially, I don't know that he's asked, but he's kind of just thrown out the thought that, you know, people always want to assume that, you know, they know what's going on. And here I am assuming that I know what's going on, you know. So he's he's half right in those comments that everybody wants to assume what's going on. But the lack of communication matters. And, I, you know, you want to say, well, people handle this in their own way. People handle you know, mental health in their own way, and maybe they're not openly talking about it. And I'm saying, well, that just doesn't match. That just The problem with that in this case is that that does not match Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving has had no problems being outspoken and extroverted, especially in his time with the media. Obviously, he declined to meet with the media earlier this season. Uh, he was a flat earther <laughs> when he was in Boston. Um, very open about, you know, his comments about his time with LeBron James in Cleveland. Kyrie Irving is not a shy person, so when you go and you disappear without an explanation, people are going to make assumptions because you're not saying anything. 
So you, you can't go and say, oh, well, I'm introverted. I just don't like talking about the situation. And maybe he genuinely doesn't like talking about the situation. Again, everybody handles this type of thing differently. But the lack of communication because and because of Kyrie displaying who he is personality-wise in the past, people are going to be able to jump to conclusions and assume things. So you, as Kyrie, you can't exactly condemn people for that. But regardless of that, it's very evident to me that, you know, I don't I don't know exactly what's wrong with Kyrie, but something is not right and he's not okay. And, you know, I I I again I'm treading very carefully with my words, so I, I apologize if this is not coming in, through as coherently as I would like it to. But you know, I, I think especially with the NBA being what it is, and the NBA is a very inclusive league. It's very understanding, very very open. I feel like, especially um, in the relationship between you know players and coaches and superstars and media and everything, seems to be a very openly and understanding league. Especially with movements like Black Lives Matter, it's a very understanding league. Kevin Love, Paul uh, Paul George. Um, uh, a third name that unfortunately I'm forgetting in this context all come out in the last year or so talking about mental health issues. And it's, it's very, it's very, I guess, I don't know what the word would be. It's not proper, but it's very common for people to come out and talk about mental health issues. And as somebody, again, who's experienced this, sometimes the best way to get out of this is to talk about it. You know, hiding it all inside and thinking that you need to be a man and, you know, keep it all together and put on a smile and say, I'm happy to be back. You know, I'm, I'm here ready to focus on, on basketball now, even if that's not true, you know, to go and to put on a smile. And again, I'm not saying that Kyrie Irving is lying again, you know, very being being very delicate with the words. Talking about it helps. And I feel like things would have gone much smoother and people would have been a lot less assumatory and people would have been a lot less critical of Kyrie if he just, you know, said, hey, look, I'm over here struggling. This year has sucked. This, 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 the last 365 days have been utter boo-boo, you know, and people would be understanding. The fact that Kyrie Irving didn't do that and Kyrie Irving, who is known for being outspoken, decided to just wither away to a hobbit hole somewhere for a couple of days and not say anything. That that's really what what started all of this, and um, I think he has nobody else but himself to blame for that. Even if even if it's like not that big of a deal, because again, mental health is dealt by everybody in their own unique ways. So, I mean, there's no real argument here. There's no real debate with this segment. I'm kind of just giving my thoughts on the situation. Uh, because again, I was watching that press conference and I'm like, man, this dude does not look okay. He looks like he's going through it. And the general reaction on social media tended to, I, I tended to be with the general reaction on social media, which is like, dude, if it's that serious, stop playing basketball. Mental health is a serious issue. It looks like he's going through something. I hope, I hope he ends up being okay. I hope that basketball, he can, he can find some rejuvenation some motivation within basketball and he can you know going back to be the Kyrie that we all really really enjoy watching again switching sports here Jared Porter uh former Mets general manager uh he was fired earlier this week uh Mets general manager 
Jared Porter fired for reportedly sending explicit naked photos to a reporter in 2016 when he was a uh, front office executive with the Chicago Cubs. And, you know, I, I don't talk about baseball a lot on the show. I don't plan to talk about baseball a lot on the show. But th- this story caught my eye uh, for a couple of reasons. Obviously, it's a it's a disgusting, horrible story about what Porter uh, did to this, this reporter um, who was a foreign uh, correspondent coming in from uh, I don't I, the, the country wasn't explicitly named, but I would have guessed that it's the Middle East uh, because the article that was written about this, uh, the woman expressed that in her country, acts of sexual harassment often fall uh, uh, on the fault of the women and not the man. And I can only assume that it's a Middle Eastern country. And I don't mean to seem ignorant if I'm incorrect about that. That's just my general assumption without with the information that I'm given, of course, the women in this only agreed to release the story. Do if she was given an, uh, uh, if she was to remain an, uh, anonymous. And uh, this this paints a very dark picture about the industry and a lot of the show, a lot of the pretext for the hard headed sports podcast is I have experience in this industry. And, you know, I've, I've interviewed coaches, you know, I've talked to like coaches like uh, Mike Krzyzewski of, of Duke. I've talked to uh, Herm Edwards. I've, I've, I've had interviews with these, with these coaches. I've asked these guys questions, you know, uh, and I've, I've gone to all these games and I've covered these games. And in all of those experiences, the main, uh, like, in relation to this story, it is such a male-dominated industry. And this is the first time on the show that I'm able to kind of bring this press perspective to the show. So in that essence, I'm really happy about it. But um, this this story absolutely broke my heart. Because women in the sports journalism industry have it so, so tough. Not to mention a foreign correspondent who didn't speak very good English, who was taken advantage of by Porter. Um, and again, uh, I would suggest you going and reading the article for yourself because I'm sure I'm going to miss something. Uh, Porter uh, met this woman at some kind of conference in an elevator, um, and they exchanged business cards. And uh, unfortunately, you know, some of it, of course, I don't really want to assign blame to anybody, but the fact that she did not understand the culture of America and she did not understand English definitely did not help her in this situation. And uh, to that, I would say that 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 blame kind of just lies in the middle. It's not exactly on Porter. It's not exactly on the, on the woman. But regardless of that, uh, Porter then began messaging her. Uh, and when she stopped responding, he started sending multiple messages, multiple photos uh, with sexually explicit content uh, that resulted in the final photo being uh, him naked from the waist down. Um, and again, this story just absolutely broke my heart because I know how difficult it is for women to break into this industry. And the fact that one of the major reasons for for this woman to leave the journalism field was because of what happened uh, in this situation is, again, very heartbreaking for me. 
Uh, it's a male-dominated industry. In my in my years of, of covering Florida State, I've only seen a handful of women come into that press box that weren't either secretaries or or sports information workers um, or or um, media contacts in terms of working for the university. Maybe just, I can, I don't know if it, if I can even count them on one hand. It's that few. So, you know, the fa- and in the fact that this happened in this industry is very heartbreaking to me because I know how hard it is to get into this industry as a woman and it's very very difficult. Uh it's it's difficult for anybody, so the 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 odds if you're female are just infinite, infinitely more difficult. And I I just feel so bad for this reporter and I I feel so disgusted in in Jared Porter. And uh, just just through own personal experience, you know, have I I, I was the the head of the sports department at for the radio station at Florida State, and it was definitely a guys' club. And you could tell that whenever a woman entered the room, all attention was on her, because it's just so rare, unfortunately, for for women to be interested in this industry, for them to succeed. And for them to be considered intelligent reporters, as opposed to somebody that they could that that you know somebody like a major network like CBS, like Aaron Andrews, could they could just throw her on the sideline and have her look pretty, and report for thirty seconds, which I think is just wrong because some of these people are genuinely great reporters, um, and for what one reason or another, maybe they you know they're, they 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 either just make a wrong decision or don't cater to somebody and they find themselves in a specific in a compromising position and it's it's horrible uh it, it this story uh it just breaks my heart in so many different ways and again i know just like the Kyrie st- story this is really just my my take on what happened and my thoughts on what happened rather than debating a specific argument but i felt like it was important to touch on um, I've had personal friends that, you know, have struggled, female friends who have had to struggle for every single bit of success that they have in this industry and not for the lack of of advances from men that were unwanted, either some kind of, of power position that they felt over my friends, you know, they felt that they felt they could exploit whether it was trading favors, whether it was uh, hiring be- hiring them specifically for the fact that they were women that they felt that they could take advantage of. It's a nasty underbelly to this business and this industry. And I hope that, I guess, I guess at the end of the day, I hope that the story sheds light on how difficult it is for women to succeed in this business. And any woman that does succeed in this business should be hats off, full credit given to because they've had to work hard they've had to work hard and it's not because of their looks it's not because of what they look like um in terms of proportionally with their body they've had to work hard for the opportunities that were given to them uh and whatever you want to label me for me saying that statement i'm okay with i've seen it firsthand it's unfair in this industry because it's so male dominated and the story of jared porter harassing this reporter who again was a foreign correspondent. She had no idea what she was getting into. It's horrible. Uh, And it breaks my heart.
It, it really does. Um, now we go from that completely depressing segment to something that's a little bit more upbeat, a little bit more exciting and happy. Uh, I want to talk about Mark Cuban for a second. I want to talk about Delonte West and, and what Mark Cuban has done for Delonte West. And if you've been out of the loop, it's been kind of a ongoing story since around uh, September of this year. Uh, Delonte West is a former NBA player, uh, played for a handful of teams uh, from around 2008 to about 2012, and then he was in the G League and some uh, foreign teams as well for a couple years, till about 2015. And uh, earlier, in about September of 2020, uh, Delonte West was seen panhandling homeless in Dallas, in, in, in the Dallas area. And Mark Cuban, who is the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, not only retrieved Delonte West off the street, he put him in rehab. He paid for all of the rehab and also recollected Delonte West with his mother. And uh, now reports coming out earlier this week that Delonte West has not only succeeded in the rehab facility in Florida that he was put into, but he has a job at that rehab facility. So Delonte West, who was an NBA star. Uh, star might be a little bit too far of a stretch, but he a a, a strong uh, a role player, a strong role player in the NBA. Averaged I think close to 9 points a game for the teams that he played for. Um he talked a lot about having a bipolar disorder which was that and a bad drug habit was what led him to kind of get out of the NBA and start to go down the spiral path to where he found himself homeless. And uh, this, in comparison to what I just talked about, man, this is so cheery. Yeah, I feel like, wow, we, we really went into some of like the, the deeper emotional things today, which is great. It adds variety to the show. Uh, maybe it's a little uncomfortable, but now we can talk about some of the happy things. Mark Cuban is the epitome of what every professional sports owner should be. Somebody who takes care of his players. Delonta West played no more than a half a season for the Dallas Mavericks. He was let go in the preseason of the 2012 season. And Mark Cuban still, along with other NBA uh, uh, executives and uh, uh, people higher up the tree. So it's not just Mark Cuban. I don't want to just single out Mark. Mark Cuban is the big name in all this, but multiple people have tried to help Delonte West in the past, but Mark Cuban is getting all the credit right now. I do want to make that distinction. It's not just Mark Cuban, but Mark Cuban is getting most of the credit. But I remember I remember around this time when uh, Donald Sterling, the, the former owner of the LA Clippers, there was all the racist and horrible things he said about his players and uh, the horrible racist man that he was. And I remember you know, growing up and really getting into basketball and that being a huge story. And you contrast what happened there with the LA Clippers uh, and Donald Sterling and his horrible comments to what somebody like Mark Cuban is doing now for Delonte West, a player that he only had for half a season, but still valued and appreciated his time and his effort into his, his business that he would pick him off off the street and put him in a rehab facility. Mark Cuban is the epitome of what all NBA owners and what all professional sports uh, owners should be. Take care of your players. They are the lifeblood of your business. They are often acquaint acquaintances and friends and the families. And granted, not every 
owner is as bad as Donald Sterling was in the NBA. And not every owner is going to be as good as Mark Cuban is in this specific uh, instance. Now, Mark Cuban could be a ginormous jerk behind closed doors but uh, and, and just have a good public public um, figure about him. Uh, but, you know, I take a look at some of the things that, you know, happened recently, like Jerry Jones uh, withholding, you know, franchising Dak Prescott instead of paying him. And then some of the comments that he made about Dak's future as the quarterback of the, of the Dallas Cowboys after that gruesome injury. And, you know, it's 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 sad, you know, that some owners really just don't take value in their in their stock and their players and and what they and what they do for the business. And I'm just really pleased with what Mark Cuban has done for Delonte West. And he is the 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 picture perfect definition of what an owner of a sports team should be. You know, the sports team is not just your business. It's not just people that play the sport for your team and you, you deserve to just sit back and make money and profit off of them. You know, they, they, you sh- they should be treated as more than just players. They should be treated as family no matter what. And I think that people should, le- uh, should you know, go by Mark Cuban's example and what he's done for Delonte West. It's, it's a very happy, feel-good story. Um, I hope Delonte West continues to succeed in remaining clean from whatever drugs he was on and, uh, uh, you know, his bipolar disorder. I hope that things change for him as well and that they only continue to get better. But more more owners should be like Mark Cuban. More owners should take care of their players like Mark Cuban. And uh, I, I think if you're a player in the NBA specifically and you're seeing this, you're saying, I would want to play for that person. Uh, it's great for uh, free agency, <laughs> you know. If uh, again we 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 talk about well, it's more than a business, and then we dive straight back into the business. And sometimes that's the mentality, uh, you know, that that a lot of owners have is that it's strictly business, and that the players are just players; they're just bodies; they're just uh, a number to 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 some owners. And then you have some owners that obviously have more invested interests, like Steve Ballmer, who actually took over for for Donald Sterling in L.A. Uh, Michael Jordan, who obviously is 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 very invested in the Charlotte Hornets, you know it it it's um. I I just hope that more owners start being like Mark Cuban in the sense that they start taking more care of their players, um, like Mark Cuban was able to take care of Delonte West. Uh, so that's a little bit more of a of a happier ending to the show. It was a longer show. We're close to fifty four minutes now. I'm going to wrap it up there. Uh, highlights will be posted on YouTube as always. So if you're listening to this on Spotify and you want to rewatch this segment of the show, you want to see my beautiful face in person, you should go subscribe to the Hard-Headed Sports YouTube channel. Thank you so much for being with me here today. We had a wide range of topics. Um, feel like this was a much better show than Monday. We had a lot to talk about. We covered a lot. Uh, obviously, obviously, the show will continue to get better as things go on. This is still a learning experience. As much experience as I have, you can always continue to get better. So I thank you for your patience, and I thank you for the support this early on. It's it's already been over a week since we started the show, and numbers are slowly rising, so that's fantastic. I'm very happy about that. Uh, thank you so much for being with me here today. Again, if you're listening to this on Wednesday and you are a United States citizen, please remain safe. It's a big day for the country, no matter what side you fall on politically. Big day. Stay safe. Don't do anything stupid. Wear a mask today. 
And uh, just, uh, again, have a fantastic, happy day. I will see you guys all on Friday. This has been Episode 6 of the Hard-Headed Sports Podcast, hosted by myself, Nick Ryan. So stay hard-headed, everybody, but have a nice day.